0: Get started. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. I'm here with none other than uh, Bill Corn Ben Crenshaw. Uh, Where have you ever done a podcast in this location?
1: <laughs> have not. I have not. This is the first here, but all I know right now, it's uh, toasty in here, which is God. We did this. Fireside chat just a few minutes ago. It was it was a little fresh. <laughs> it's pretty chilly. It was it was
0: out in the elements. I thought maybe you guys requested to be uh, in nature. It's about fifty degrees today, and now we're in a heated uh, SUV. Um, I guess uh, I guess my you know we, we were talking a little bit about process uh, when we were out by the fire at the opening here of Ozarks National. How has your process evolved over the years? Is it is that a simple question? Uh, no, <laughs> no,
1: it really hadn't, Eric. The thing is that um, it's uh, it's an interesting process how we we field calls from different places and um, not knowing anything about what people want to do. You know, it's 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 wonderful that people want to put together a club. Present it, however, but the very first determinant is the land for us. That's that's number one. And then it's the people you do things with who share that vision. You become comfortable with their group, what they see, what they want. But it, at least to me, I'm speaking for my partner, he can say that whatever he wants, but it's the land that that interests us. What we think that we can do with a particular piece of land. and be quite frank you know a lot of times we we pass we just we don't see it as I said in the in the conversation there there are people in this business who can full-scale move a lot of earth and make it look very good we're, we're just really not comfortable with that it's just not what we like to do um, we'd rather showcase a piece of land and, and, and do little things to it put it together that way.
2: yeah Eric it's, uh, as Ben was saying uh, I think all those years ago now 30 plus that uh, we decided we would try this together We started off not knowing quite frankly if we'd ever get a job but if anyone you know if it, if if it were to happen, we would try to to find a few, Interesting sites to work with, and then give them our best effort and best most attention. Um, as I mentioned in, in there a bit earlier, uh, we've been blessed with so many now extraordinary sites through the years and extraordinary people for whom to work. Um, I, I don't think either of us could have ever possibly have beyond our imagination to you know, to even think of the sites we've been given to work with and the opportunities we've been given. But as Ben said, it all starts with the land. Is this a piece of land that we think we could work with? And I guess somewhat at the foundation of all that is, we try to understand our own strengths and weaknesses. We we try to understand what we're good at and equally, if not more importantly, understand what we're not good at. And when it comes to sites that, that require extreme earthworks and alteration to, to, to create a golf course, that's not playing to our strengths. So why would we do it? We could end up spending huge amounts of someone's money and building a bad product. That's not the goal. So we gravitate toward the sites that already inherently have um, uh, feel like they're they're suited in a, in a very natural way for golf.
0: That sounds like uh, an important life lesson that, that you'd be lucky for your career to teach you. Is, is, that, is there something else maybe that uh, your career or maybe golf in general has taught you that has kind of lent itself to what you're doing now? Yeah,
1: that, that's interesting. It's, I, you know It may sound strange, but it kind of all boils down to a matter of taste and like Bill says, what you're comfortable with. And it's, it's far beyond what you see a situation and you see, you see golf out there somehow. You see it pictured out there in your mind. And you, 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 sometimes it takes a while for it to sink in. But there's invariably spots on a piece of land that you know that's more, that's natural, and that's, we can make it. Oh, we don't have to enhance that much at all maybe other parts of the course you have to work at it a bit but it still has to fit into a theme that's what you're after and uh, it has to kind of boil into a final product that you you hope that a lot of people who want to play will enjoy and um, while again testing some of the best players in the world but you still have to make it uh, accommodating to, to other classes but it's yeah, it's, it, I guess you, you. it looks like golf, and maybe it smells like golf. You, you can see that readily in a, in a sight sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think, Eric, too, it's a, it's a little like you asked about how does the, our philosophy relate to golf, I guess, a connection. It's a, it's a little like knowing your own game. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And if you truly know your own game, you probably are gonna be more successful while playing the game. And we've tried to know. We've tried to know our strengths and and our limitations and and go from there. We've tried very hard to to find some sites we thought we could work with, and we tried to um, assess those sites with no preconceived notions. We try not to go to a site saying, oh, this should be this, this should be that. Um, just just talking a bit earlier there, we were, I was talking about how, what, from our perspective, one of the worst things we could do is go and say, oh, we're gonna build a certain type of golf course, we're gonna build a certain length golf course, a certain, any kind of preconceived notion before thoroughly assessing and studying the site and see what that site will, well, Allowed to happen. Um, if you go with preconceived notions, you're very likely going to miss a great deal of what's natural in the site and what the site would give you. Our dear friend Rod Whitman, the Canadian architect whom Ben and I've known forever, he had one of the great lines I've ever heard when talking about people looking at golf, it applies to many things in life, but certainly looking at golf or land or golf courses when he said, he looks, but he does not see. (laughs) If if you're not careful and you go with preconceived notions, you will look at the land, but you'll only see what you've already thought of. If you go open-minded with no preconceived notions or formula you can see what's right in front of you more often than
0: not. You can
1: look past something pretty easily. Yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) another life lesson I mean this is just I I, I heard you say something uh, Bill when when we were sitting by the the coldest fire I've ever sat in front of you said you said a phrase that really filled me with a lot of questions Mm -hmm. you said the man who taught me to play golf can you tell me about that person?
2: Um, yeah, Eric, I grew up out in way out in the country in North Carolina and uh, on a dirt road and, and, you know, very few neighbors. But my I was very fortunate. The the man Donald Jarrett was his name. Uh, My really my only neighbor uh, loved to play golf. So I would caddy for him. He gave me some old clubs. We'd make up little holes between his house and our house and play from yard to yard and into the cornfield when the, when the corn wasn't growing and, you know, that sort of thing, just like kids and people do. But, um, you yeah, he introduced me to golf, so... But he introduced me... He played in a very different fashion. He was not a particularly powerful player, in, in, but he was really good with his short game, and he thought really well. He was the first person I knew who would look at landforms and figure out ways to make the landforms help him with his golf game. Even if he were not capable of hitting shots, as we said earlier, point A to B, he would find out a way, uh, you know, if there were, individual holes and even individual landforms that he could use to help him negotiate the course to actually compete with players who are probably more powerful or maybe even more skillful than he and he was very successful in it.
0: So from that yeah. I can hear kind of the early uh, inspiration for yeah. what would become your legacy. Uh, ben, does something in your career also lend itself to um, what you're doing now, your, your playing career?
1: Yeah, well i I was fortunate enough to have grown up on mainly uh, one municipal golf course in West Austin that we're trying to save right now. It's been there since 1925. And another golf course, which was the Austin Country Club, the old one, which was built by Perry Maxwell, who, to our minds, was one of the best. And that's where I met Harvey Penick. And (laughs) I met him when I was seven years old. My brother played, but that was my incubation. But I could tell later on I was on a really good golf course. That was a neat piece of land. And the more I played, the more I started to travel a little bit, the more interested I became in architecture uh, all along I was playing. But the opportunity to travel. And many times I I would go see a golf course that, that I'd heard about or read about. And that was my field study. Jack Nicholas uh, was a player and early made the decision that he was going to get into building courses one day, too. So I thought about that quite a bit, too.
0: Um, I, I think of this podcast on some level as, as being a way for people to learn about golf. So I think we need to dig into those two names. Harvey Penick was one of the first books. Uh, the Little Red Book was one of the first things I ever read in golf. Can you talk a little bit about that, just so that people listening uh, can sort of uh, maybe, maybe take part in that as well?
1: People are drawn to, to and it really started with a word of mouth, Harvey, Harvey's teaching. He was a wonderful teacher. Um, and when people started reading that book, um, they quickly learned there's a lot uh, in, in that book other than golf. And it was a, it was a, a gentleman's way of, of looking at things. Very, very kind and patient man, uh, non-complex. Uh, it was really filled with a lot of wisdom. Uh, and, yeah, I've had, well, obviously particularly uh, loved Harvey. There's a lot of Harveys in this world uh, who teach golf and love golf and want people to play. Harvey always said, I wanted to get people in the game and keep them there because he knew it was good for them. You know, young young and old, he said, there's something good about it that uh, that uh, he, kn- he knew it was an enjoyable pastime for people to get together and be friends and play in the outdoors and things like that. that life lessons, really.
0: You know, you, you said something uh – that kind of struck me there get people to start and keep them there you know I was lucky enough to be involved in the USGA's recent innovation symposium in Japan with one of your colleagues uh, Ben Warren Mm. who was with me there and um, anyway you know we were having all these discussions about uh, the current state of golf and how a lot of people start playing every year but also a lot of people stop playing Um, do you guys have a pulse on that and maybe why And, and do you incorporate that I mean into your um, you know thoughts on how golf is going to evolve no matter what in the future do you think about that much uh,
1: you know <clears throat> it's very difficult for to, to, to do it alone especially very I think it vitally important for a little kid to go out with his buddies and, and play and mix it up and have compete the competition is is a lot of it that draws you. To the game and keeps you in there. Uh, it's, I think, um, Harvey was, was one that he didn't want so much instruction as for a kid right at the beginning. But I mean, you just you want to let the kids hit it around, start knocking around, watch the ball roll, watch it do this. But very important to have a little buddy with you, so you can bounce things off and and, and learn together. I was so lucky. We had a whole bunch of little kids who could play and really enjoyed it. It just whetted my interest forever. Uh, That's the way I started, and uh, I wish people could start that way, but very difficult to just let a kid go out alone. You know, there's nothing. It's a little overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I think uh, in some ways you got to be either good pretty quick, or you got to have no friends. <laughs> you yeah, know, to play alone. And it's,
1: it's no fun to play alone. No. Although there's been a few instances where people have worked it out, but the social sociability of the game, I think, it's thread, threads the needle of, of getting people interested and in, in then becoming a golfer the rest of their life. But it's, it's, it's no no more um, complicated than all these people around. The world, with like like Harvey, knew that that game would be good for you the rest of your life. That's as simple as that.
2: I think too, uh, Eric. The uh, as Ben said, and you you were uh, talking about when you can be exposed to the game as a, as a young person. Um, if you can be exposed in in ways that. That are enjoyable on courses. They don't have to be famous courses. They don't have to be expensive courses. But just courses that that engage your interest and and uh, allow you the opportunity to succeed. I don't by that I don't mean the courses have to be so bland as to just be mindless activity. There need to be some challenges to have the thrill of success. And but once you get that sense of of that engagement. Uh, you know, particularly as a young person, the times may come in your life as you as you get older and with families and that sort of thing. You may, for good reason, responsibility reasons, have to go away from golf. But it's a game that you can re-enter at a later part of life. And uh, it, it does, as Ben said, it's a it's a game that can stick with you for for an entire lifetime. Um, even if it's intermittent,
0: so. I, have a, I have a lot more questions. We're gonna take a quick break. Uh, everybody, stand by. All right, folks, you know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the tour 360, obviously. And uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360. And uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The TOR 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team um, to XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like, was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet. Boost on my feet. Uh, and it has an X shaped traction system that gives you insane stability. Literally, it's not sane. It's literally crazy. Your feet will literally be like, I'm crazy. Best part, it comes in spikeless. Ooh, that's tight. The first spikeless ever in the history of the Tour 360. Crazy, comfortable, and perfect for the course. Get your pair at Adidas.com. Thank me later. Follow Adidas Golf for all the latest and greatest. That's all true statements right there. Check it out. Go support Adidas because they're a good company, good people. I like it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right. All um... right. Oh, I had a great question right before we went to commercial. What was it? Well, we can go to another question I had though, on standby. was, And maybe we can, you know, obviously both of you. But going back to the beginning, right, when you started the project at Sandhills, did you know what was, did you have an idea? I think you said before that you didn't quite have an idea of what your career was going to be like. But from what I understand, that's the beginning of a word that gets tossed around a lot amongst the work you guys do and amongst the work a lot of the people have been influenced by your work, minimalist golf. Did you did you know that that was different at the time or was that even the first example of it?
2: Uh, I would say Eric, no. We've we've been asked in the past a few times did 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 either of us perceive the sand hills or know at the sand hills that it was going to be a watershed event in golf architecture that's now some people claim it was. Um, no, we just knew it was an extraordinary site when we saw it. Um, we knew it was a site that had the potential, um, such potential that if, if we didn't create a truly outstanding course, I would go so far as to say one of the world's outstanding courses, we failed. And, you know, we weren't out there saying this is going to change golf architecture is just how do we get the most potential out of this site and do something that we don't come back after the fact and say we should have we could have that's the worst of all we try to avoid that and and if at all possible and not and we try to take the time with each site to figure out what is the best we can do here so we don't come back and w- wish or something and um no, we had no idea. Put it in the context of the times, it was very different than what was being done, obviously. But it was just what we thought that site uh, was meant to be. And we, as we said earlier, we allowed that we studied the site. We allowed the site to guide us instead of us altering it.
1: it a very rare opportunity that we regarded as You know, we'll never get an opportunity like this again. Uh, But it was a direct thought of taking uh, the game of golf to the land itself. Regardless of where it was. (laughs) I mean, it is truly remote. And we were hoping that people would come out and see it. I mean, it it was a leap of faith, really that uh, we it just pleases it just pleases us and just in the sense that people go out there and play and enjoy it I mean that's that's what it's about anyway any place that you do but it's it's rare there's no question and it's <clears throat> directly tied into the thoughts that how the game was was born it has a real distant uh, cousin it's distant cousin to Lynxland to where the game was born
2: yeah. It's amazing, Eric, the the Dick Youngs Cap. You know the founder of the Sandhills was such a visionary, and he actually envisioned something like what has become at the Sandhills. He envisioned it there, and he steadfastly through the whole process resisted any um, encouragement, let's say, from outside. It, people or agencies to, to make it different. He knew if you just tried to build a very uh, orthodox type golf course there, it would fail because it was so far away. It had to be something that was complementary to that site and that, quite frankly, to the way of life of the people who live in those neighboring communities. And he was he insisted upon that from the beginning and we totally bought into it and said, it's going to be it's going to be different. It's going to have its own character and it's far, far removed. And will anyone ever come? We don't know. <laughs>
0: how how hard is it to take what I'm assuming is a lot of money and take a risk and, you know, be thinking about the word different? I mean, it's it's, a, it's scary to be different. I mean, now now you're on the other side of it. And now and now people are just trying to be like you. In a, in a complimentary way that I would imagine you guys take as a, as a, as a compliment, but, but was, was it scary at all?
2: Uh, I mean, I'll start first with this. I know Ben has his own feelings about it, but uh, yeah, I've been asked several times, said, that that must've been great fun. Bill sandals. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it,
0: it wasn't great fun at all.
2: The, and I say that because again, knowing the potential that that site had and then if you didn't produce one of the world's wonderful golf courses you failed that's a tough way to start and 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 so that in and of itself made it a bit stressful and then with the elements at the sandhills with the wind blowing and things blowing everywhere and 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 the difficulties involved in in building it and And it was, and Dick Young's cap being so, so creative in the sense of how he put the project together, but the fact he designed all the buildings, he helped put in all the deep main irrigation, literally running a backhoe, the whole thing being done by today's standards on a shoestring, I mean a very thin shoestring budget. And because Dick knew that there were a few people who believed in him and were willing to invest in this, and Dick was not going to disappoint if it, if if he could possibly help it. He was not going to disappoint those people who believed in him and was supporting this wild
1: idea. And uh, it, I,
2: it was it
1: was stressful. It wasn't. It was a we were hell bent on producing something that we saw in the beginning, and just extraordinary, but at least for me, <clears throat> the land itself and what it represented had a mysterious hold on me and uh, Bill. I mean, you just you n- you knew that you would never get opportunity like that again in the way that the sand hills was formed, um, how it does have that tie to lynx land it's beautiful rolls, you know, the things that you you read about and you envisioned across the world, but it's there. It is in the heartland of the country. But it's like Bill says; it's a lot of the philosophy of the people, and uh, who have a very difficult life, uh, harsh life in raising cattle in all sorts of environments, uh, tough environments, reflected in their their people. But the whole thing—it's uh, amazing how it's worked, but it's been protected by the people who work there and live there. Uh, but, man, it was, it, was a, it was a really interesting part of our lives. What do you mean when you say that? Meaning that we, <clears throat> you never would, <clears throat> first of all, you never thought that, that the land like that existed in our country. And it's right out in the middle, <clears throat> and it's beautiful, sand hills. You know, a third of the state of Nebraska is encompassed in the sand hills, very sandy but there again has that links back to the origins of the game of golf uh, links like so you know that, that idea pervaded all throughout our process uh, but we're we're proud to, to have been you know the two guys along with the people who worked with us to make that idea come to fruition and it does represent something in golf's past that is presented now.
0: I see a lot of similarities in kind of uh, our lives in some ways, right? You guys, um, you know, create a golf experience for people every day, and and they get to relive it, and you get to go back and revisit it. I do that with uh, videos and, you know, podcasts and stuff. And so I've actually found in my own life – some sometimes the experience of creating that, the videos and the stories and this, is almost. I almost enjoy it a little more than playing golf. I, I'm and and I, and I have a hard time even saying that because I love playing golf. But I'm curious to know for you too. Is it is that at all the same? If if you had to choose, would you would you prefer to work in the dirt or would you prefer to play? I'm sure the answer is different. Maybe for both of you.
1: Well, I've I've been asked that, and I, you know I've been a. Player, my whole my whole life, but uh, I'll tell you what: when I was 16 years old, when I saw something completely different in Boston at the Country Club in Brookline, I thought, "Well, this is just you know, most a very staid atmosphere." One of the five founding members of the USGA, but how they that golf course had a hold on me. It's how did they make this golf course sort of craggy New England? And it, was, it, just, it just was something completely different than I'd ever seen in, as a youth. And I just knew someday I wanted to get into golf course architecture. That's where my love of golf history started. And no better place than, than right there. But uh, it transformed me. And mm-hmm. like I've said many times, my head's been in a book ever since. <laughs> Along with my playing. Uh, yeah, I'm passionate about playing. And, uh, you know, somewhat successful, but, uh, you know, you you, you you can never stop learning. Uh, it's fascinating to me. Who built what, where, how did they do it? It's fascinating.
0: What was the last thing that you learned about golf that surprised you? The last thing about golf?
1: Uh, there's nothing surprising about it. You learn every day. I've, I know this very simply. uh, If you play, you're going to see something completely surprising on the course every day. I don't care where you just got to keep your eyes. Something happens on a golf course completely indifferent, and that's you know it is like a game of chance sometimes. uh, So you can never explain. Sometimes what what happens on a course it's sort sort of mystifying that way.
0: I agree.
2: <laughs> yeah, Eric, I uh, I never had the uh, a dilemma with that question because I was never very good to start with. <laughs> but I did play a lot of golf as a as a kid and and. Uh, ben and i were both so fortunate that we were exposed to some some good golf courses early on i mean in my case even though i played the most (laughs) the most inexpensive public golf courses imaginable once in a while i would get to go to pinehurst and play and i didn't know it at the time um you know that was anything special and then I, I knew a bit about the history not much but uh, you know I would go play. And later on in school I, I was able to play at a place called Old Town in Winston-Salem North Carolina which is Perry Maxwell golf course which Ben and up on a Perry <laughs> Maxwell golf course and uh um, you begin to, to, to realize as you're playing, like, like everyone, I guess I, like everyone else, go, I like this golf course, I like that one. Why? Because I can play better on this one, or this one suits my game better, or something. But pretty soon you start to think about, why do I like this better? Mm. Why is it I find this more appealing? And, you know, eventually <laughs> it dawns on me that I like this because it allows me to play the way I can play, meaning it's not shut off in front of every green that everything has to be aerial. Again, I can play certain shots and run the ball on the greens and I can do this and I can do that where other courses don't allow me that process. It goes back to, as we talked earlier about being a kid playing golf. If you start thinking about, you don't want to overanalyze it, but I'm having fun. Why? You start thinking about why am I having fun? Why, what do I like about this? Mm. And, uh, uh, I think that's just all part of the process
0: so we got to finish up but I just uh, I really wanted to get two more questions in um, one is it's a, it's it's it goes back to my own experience of making videos on golf courses you know you you sort of develop this um, kind of knowledge of how to shoot it right and you're playing golf but you've got a camera out there and you're looking at a golf course through the lens you probably see this a lot with the photographing of your creations But then you've got this technical thing, the camera. You've got to get the camera to work. Do you guys have, like, what's the balance between making a whole and or a course beautiful versus technical aspects and playability? You talked about something I had never known was a consideration, but now can see that it's really beautiful, the way the sun goes on the 18th or the 1st, right? You want to have the 18th, not into the west. I never would have known that that was a consideration for people of your field how what goes into the making of a beautiful hole versus a playable hole
1: well aesthetics is covers a lot of ground but and i'll say this this course right here is abundant in what you what you see on the ground is the hole that you're playing but there's your eye catches so much out here in the backdrops of holes, or uh, side looks, or y- your eye just wanders, and, but it's, it adds up to what I think is an atmosphere of this particular course, and it makes things tend to be a little more on the naturalistic theme. Yeah, you, you know, th- those are the things that you you see. It's a little like what Bill said earlier about you know you yeah you want to concentrate. <laughs> On the ground and what this hole looks like in the raw, or what it could look like, but then uh, you, you're 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 apt to miss a lot of the stuff that that what he alluded to earlier with Rod Whitman's comment. Mm. Uh, it comes to you over a period of time, but you have you have to you have to be here and 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 see aspects of what can be um, you can't see it at a glance sometimes some things are surprising too uh, it's kind of tied in with kind of an old old UK English and Scottish philosophy how they built holes they some guy said we saw a situation we made a golf hole out of it <laughs> yeah and that's a wonderful way of, of kind of what we do see a situation out there you make a golf hole out of it and 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 it it kind of blends what you're thinking about your ideology is and you know I bounce things off of Bill and Bill bounces things off our crew and we keep it together it's it's a collaboration
2: yeah I think too Eric it's a I mean when you're asking about the 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 beauty and then the utilitarian side of it. It's, I guess, when it comes down to it, golf architecture is, from our perspective, uh, is a combination. It's an art form, but it's an art form that's based on technical aspects, drainage being the most important, and then it's it's a it's an art form that is tied directly in given what we do, into the playability and enjoyable uh, side of golf. And so it's hard to, you could say, well, the aesthetics are more important. Well, probably not. The playability is the most important. Well, the playability is extraordinarily important. But if the technical aspects, drainage and the, the, the ability to maintain the course is not proper, then the aesthetics and the playability aren't going to work. So they—they they all three go uh, very closely knit together.
0: Okay, thank you. Last question. Does anybody want to go first? It's not an easy question. Then you. All right, Ben. We'll start with you. You get the, you. You get a chance to think about it, Bill. I ask everybody to do this on the podcast. You can interpret however you want. Write a letter to golf. Just start it off, dear golf.
1: Uh, dear golf, I'm proud of your past and we want to keep it in the future.
0: That's that could make it onto a t-shirt. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Bill, you got a tough act to follow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I knew that was that was not going to be yeah.
2: Um, <clears throat> I I think I would say, "Dear golf, I'm very grateful. I am truly grateful. I wouldn't be sitting here without the game." I hope that um, it continues in the way we've been discussing, and um, it's um, it's the game of a lifetime. So uh, I encourage kids to to experiment with
0: it. Well, Sam here. Thanks for your time, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Sir.